I've been looking more because I expressed an interest in playing uh, Disco Elysium for some kind of Let's Play thing. Yes. Uh, I mean, I'm still... Uh, I really like the game, and I still think you should play it, and maybe we could even try something. But it's kind of, like, really heavy material. I'm not sure it'd be, like, a great thing for us to, us to you know, make jokes about. I mean, it's named after Disco and one of the lesser Matt Damon movies, so... It's not so much Matt Damon-based as kind of like a a bleak depiction of people struggling in impossible circumstances that they really can't change at this point. No, oh, great, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a more Ben Affleck movie. Yep. Welcome to Brokusatsu, Two Brothers' exploration of tokusatsu shows and associated media. I'm Harry. And I'm Sam. And I kind of want to apologize to Harry for uh, suggesting that we talk about The Mandalorian on the podcast, which meant that we've gone two days without speaking about The Mandalorian to each other. Yeah, it's, it's the curse of creating content for literally uh, Daniel K's amount of people on the internet. <laughs> uh we love you, uh, Daniel Okay, Yeah, yeah, yeah. With yeah. our bespoke podcast for you. Yeah. Uh, and, and, like, well, there's, like, there's, like, a dozen other people. But anyway. Uh, yeah, we, we're big fans, and we're going to cover it at the end of the show in kind of a free-form thing, not the same as we cover the other episodes, because we're big old nerds, and we like Star Wars, as we'll get into. Yes. Although I will say something up top, Harry, like, not exactly uh, related to The Mandalorian, but just a, a quick mental note. Like, browsing Disney+, Plus as I, you know, was doing before the show when we were pre-planning and I was browsing. Man, Disney+, Plus doesn't want to admit that Solo is a Star Wars movie. Like, if you go to the Star Wars section, you have to scroll all the way to the bottom to find the Han Solo movie. And, like, when you're looking at the preferences or, like, the recommendations for literally any other Star Wars property, it's not there. It cuts off, like, right before Solo, a Star Wars story. And that makes me feel a little bit bad for that movie, because frankly, it was pretty good. I, I haven't seen it yet. You should. It's on Disney+. Plus. You have my par- uh, you, ha- you have my password, Harry. Yep, I'm leeching. Yep, you are a leech. I am, in this case, I am the whale, everyone else is the leech. I have never felt more like an adult. Uh, and speaking of... Uh, big grown-up storylines. Uh, sure, yeah. Let's do our let's start our coverage of Carmen Rider Zero One, Episode One Zero, Episode Ten. I mean, the storylines are getting a little bit more complex. Like the story, no, I I really like this one because uh, it it layers its storytelling pretty well. It really does, and like it it goes places I was not anticipating, and like the resolution is nice and messy. But we'll we'll get to that. We'll get to that when we get through the rest of the episode. We start uh, in kind of a, it's a port, it's in the pouring rain, and it's in a, we see a, like, guy in a nice suit running down the alley. Mm -hmm. He is followed by a beat cop, who we can tell is, like, nice and young and earnest and still believes in truth and justice in the Japanese way. While the other guy has a face that screams character actor. 
the entire thing just feels instantly like a really cheesy soap opera set. And hey, guess what? It is. Yeah, they're uh, they're filming a TV show. And as we start like the the older actor, he turns to the cop and says, do you really think you could shoot me, Geary? You're naive. You only see one side of the coin, one side of the world. And then someone calls cut off screen and the rain shuts off because it's just a guy spraying a hose on them. (laughs) Uh, And what we have is the very first human gear actor, at least according to the show, which has apparently forgot the human gear voice actor from like three episodes ago. I think it's more forgot. uh, I I mean, it's less forgot and more swept under the rug because I guess they're kind of hoping that this one isn't going to scream about meeting people in heaven five minutes into the first interview. Like this one's going a lot better. This one, uh, this one is not wrapped up in some kind of uh, tat goal to resurrect a dead loved one in an illegal <laughs> way. No, this is just uh, hidden intelligence creating a TV production to get some good PR out there. Because boy, a bunch of the robots in hospitals just kind of massacred some people. They really need to to put a good spin on things. No, Harry, there were no casualties during that attack. Zero. Zero casualties, Harry. Don't you remember? Neither of us believe that. (laughs) Anyway, uh, yeah. So they they got the first Human Gear actor, Engie. And uh, rounding out the cast is the veteran actor, Shinya Awada. Mm -hmm. An A-list celebrity with a lot of leading roles. And uh, Sam, Shinya Awada, can you guess who he's played by? Shinya Awada? Yes. So Shinji Iwata is just like a veteran actor. I mean, of course he's an actor because he's acting in a TV show, but he's also just actually an actor. He's super experienced. He's been in a huge amount of movies. Uh, Like I went to his IMDb and it's just one of those things where you scroll down. He's, he does like projects and projects and projects. So he is straight up playing himself. Yeah, he, he's he's a experienced actor playing an experienced actor. I, I guess kind of a good example of the type of roles he gets. He was the voice of Mufasa in the Japanese dub of The Lion King. I can totally see that. Or, uh, hear, I can totally hear that. Yeah. Uh, so they ask him how he feels about working with a human gear. And uh, it's it's interesting because it's one of those things where an actor is acting, uh, but they're also... he. So basically you can see his performance that he's being nice for the cameras, but he's lying a little bit when he says, oh, it's great. Yeah, the human gear never forgets his lines. So I'm happy about that. Yes, he gets in a nice, like, dig, a uh, nice, uh, pleasant joke that the media could laugh at and quote in the newspapers. In the background, we see Fua. Uh, he is there, still recovering. He is, like, still nicely beat up from the previous couple episodes. And he's behaving himself. Yeah, he he's, uh, Ames is providing security. And, you know, he's happy to pay back the favor for saving his life and stuff. He doesn't love human gears all of a sudden, but he's he's putting in an effort, which is more than I expected. Yeah, it is nice character development. Uh, also nice character development. Izu totally drops a dime on Yua. Like, just straight up, just dig that knife in. Like, he wonders out loud, man, I wonder who leaked that footage. And Izu says, uh, I was there, I was watching, it was Yaiba. Here, here's a video proving it. Now, Izu, like, she puts on a good front of being innocent, I do not believe for a second that Izu does not have, like, external, or, like, internal motivations for what she's doing. No, yeah, she she's, it's interesting, because she's making choices and stuff. Like, we're getting more into, this episode is all about human gears kind of developing their own goals and stuff in life. 
Now, on the subject to Yua, she is currently in a secret meeting with her secret faceless boss. Yeah, at Zaya Enterprise Japan, which is probably some kind of programming company or like tech tech company that they make the weapons for aims. Now, Harry, I could have swore like this guy's voice changed. Do you think that between like episode one or two or whenever the hell the faceless boss first showed up and now like they changed out the actor? I, I don't think it changed. I think they've had the like I said, I said bef- uh, almost before the series started, I was seeing magazine scans of uh, not to put too fine a point on it, but the, the suit that this guy is going to wear. So I think they knew who they were dealing with. OK, OK. And, and, but uh, see, that's interesting because like in production, these shows like they make decisions far ahead and they know stuff about actors. But then there's some that kind of through the show end up being more popular and they they do change stuff sometimes and make characters more important as they would. And hey, little assassin is still here. Yeah, do you think that do you think they were intending for the assassin to become like a recurring character? I don't know, but he's he's hanging with he's hanging with uh Jin and they're together watching and I guess they I love this characterization because they're just a couple of buds. Like Hiropi's all about extinguishing humans, but they just want to have fun and they're just watching old samurai movies. And, this uh, is us in high school, Harry. Like this yeah. is us hanging out with our idiot friends watching old Japanese movies. Yeah, watching the the uh, Satoichi movies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, it it is Shinya Wada playing a samurai guy, and he's doing some dual wielding of swords, and the little assassin loves it. Like, oh, this is great. He's a real assassin. We jump back to uh, the film set where we see a little bit more of the uh, human gear actor uh, doing some scenes. Uh, they do a nice little Chekhov bit right here where they show that on camera the Himagir earbuffs go away. Like, there is apparently software that could just remove those from a, uh, remove those from a scene, and, uh, immediately, you know, put the hair or the other, uh, human features underneath, uh, to mask the fact that this is a Humagear. I mean, it's, it's a deep fake, right? That's, like, a thing you can do nowadays, by, like, you, isn't there a thing where you can, in real time, have an overlay of you're a different actor or person or something? Yep, yep. And this this would honestly be pretty easy. Like, I mean, it's one of those things where, like, if you look closely, you can see, like, some lines or a little bit of wiggles. Uh, but at the same time, this is an entirely believable thing. It's also 100% Harry going to come up later this series, maybe even this next episode, which uh, this is a two-parter. We should mention that yet, uh, now. But this is absolutely 100% going to come up uh, for some kind of, like, masked identity thing. Maybe. But anyway, Aroto is real happy about stuff, and uh, like Fuwa asks why he's dressed up all weird, and he's an extra. He's uh, he's like a crime scene technician. <laughs> There's a funny thing where the vice president guy comes up, and he has to play the corpse. Yes, he's a little annoyed at it, but I mean, I think we all know that like playing a corpse on one of these shows, it's actually a pretty cush gig. Yeah, I mean, you just gotta lie there. Mm-hmm. You get a lie there, you get to hang out with your favorite actors. It's the type of thing that gets, like, auctioned off and like, celebrity eBay things, like, when they're raising money for charity. Be a corpse on the ER! No, I mean, it's it's totally fitting. Like, this this production is being bankrolled by the company. It's totally a thing where, hey, let's just get the president there in, like, a, a one-line role and another guy, he's playing the corpse. It totally makes sense. And they, they start filming a scene, and uh, the assassin guy, he's saying, like, oh, hey... Yeah, seems like there's a storm brewing, and it's heading our way. 
And in this episode, they do lots of stuff, because as he's saying this, Jin and Lil Sassen are showing up outside, and a little annoyed that Ames is already here for once. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Ames is actually slightly ahead of the game this episode. The actor is talking how people are like coins, there's a side you can't see, and the other side, the hidden side. And Fuwa's kind of, it, it's the thing, as they say this, uh, Fuwa's kind of thinking, obviously, about Yua. Mm-hmm. But he has to go outside and save his nameless, faceless compatriots who are getting wrecked. Yep. And uh, uh, Izu tries to get uh, the president's attention and point out that, hey, they're kind of under attack by Metsubo Jinrai right now. Uh, but there's a nice comedic bit here where they all decide that acting is more important than being murdered by terrorists. And so they don't break the scene. I mean... Look, if Aruto had dropped everything he did every time Metsubo Jinrai was attacking somebody nearby, he would literally never accomplish anything. I think he was kind of hoping that Fuwa could handle it for once. And he kind of does. Like, Fuwa holds his own uh, until Yua arrives, and it's a double team, and they actually, they scare off Metsubo Jinrai. Yeah, well, they, they scare off Jin, who is getting a bit overwhelmed, and he calls for Little Assassin to help him. But Little Assassin is elsewhere. Yes, Little Assassin is developing a bit of a personality. Yeah, he's inside, he's just calmly standing to the side and watching the acting. Mm -hmm. He is a huge fan of this real actor person. There, There's a fun thing where, like, the at, at the climax of the action, uh, like, an, an attack hits the building at, right as the character was firing a gun. I think the special effect was just way too powerful. Lots of nice comedy bits. Uh, but after the fight, uh, Fuwa and Yua have a bit of a heart-to-heart. Yua, to her credit, immediately cops to taking the footage and allowing the assassin to attack Fuwa a couple episodes ago. Fuwa is not as pissed as he probably should be, and in fact he asks if she was doing it for Zaya. Which, Harry, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, this is the first mention of Zaya in the series? Well, well, it's it's the it's the name of the company that was flashed earlier. Okay, so this is the faceless boss who ha who's a, who has a face, as we'll see. He does have a face at the end of this episode, but we haven't gotten there, Harry. You spoiled you spoiled the fact that a man has a face. But anyway, like the the main thing of the scene is that he says, you know, we're policing human gears. We're not explicitly trying to take down hidden intelligence. But Yua says, no, I I totally am. You know, she's trying to take down hidden intelligence, like. She could probably be a little bit more efficient at it, unless they wanted to go down in a very specific way. Well, I like Zaya Enterprises. I think they may be a competing company. I I think he may be trying to do like a takeover thing, like mid series. What if there's like what if all their stock their prices drop and then they all start getting bought out, and then this other guy takes over as CEO, but he's a big jerk. I do kind of want to see what an off brand human gear looks like. Uh, do they still but... have earmuffs, Harry? Also, we kind of brushed past this, like, the whole, like, uh, the camera taking away the human ear earbuffs. Are those earbuffs 100% essential? Like, is that where the hardcore, like, computer processing is going on inside those earmuffs? Well, uh, Hirobi and Jin, like, when they took off their bandanas and headscarves and stuff, like, they, they, they don't have those. They have kind of broken off bits where they used to be, so human gears are capable of living without them, but I don't know, I think... Maybe for various purposes, things are routed through them, and if they get damaged, they could kind of dis disrupt the human gear. In any case, 
Uh, so they finish shooting for a bit, and everyone's congratulating the elderly actor, but he's kind of having some misgivings because he's not he's not liking this Yumagira actor. He says he isn't working out, like he's not giving enough emotion, not giving him anything to work off of. Yeah, he, there's there's no humanity or anything. And the director sighs and says, actually, I agree, but this is the production. I'm, I'm asking you to bear with it for now. It's at this point uh, that the lead actor meets the assassin. And yeah. they are instantly best friends. Yeah, like, he confronts him at his car, and you think it's going to go bad, but it cuts to a scene in the park where the assassin is showing off the sword moves that he studied earlier, and the elderly actor, he's clearly super, he's super flattered that this young up-and-comer, he thinks, anyway, is a big fan of his and is asking for some acting advice. At the park, uh, the assassin is showing off some of his moves, and the actor uh, rightfully points out, wow, you 100% mirrored my moves from my samurai movie. He's quite flattered. Yeah. And uh, like that that look you give me, if looks could kill, I'd be dead. <laughs> yeah. So he, he breaks out the script of the thing they're shooting and they start reading some lines. And uh, partway through, like uh, as Little Assassin has given some good readings, his eyes kind of flash blue, which we've seen is the thing where they're like, accessing extra power or something or adapting like izu her eyes flash blue when she looks at the human gears they're fighting and comes up with new ways to fight them but little assassin he does this and he starts he's able to come up with some lines of his own he's ad-libbing and the the actor is uh, impressed saying yeah that's that's better what was written uh cut back to the production uh the actor uh, is running lines with the human gear and he goes off script yeah, he, he basically, he tries to lead into the lines that Will Assassin was throwing in the meeting, kind of leads up to him saying like, yeah, you're a failure as a cop or something like that. And he tosses him just a, a, a canned drink. And the human gear, he catches it super awkwardly. His eyes flash rapidly and he basically glitches out and he just shouts cut. The director chastises him for yelling cut. Actors can't yell cut. Uh, and Iwata just sighs and starts leaving the set, saying, like, I, this is a bad idea. Good acting is about dynamics, a conflict of personalities. But with the human gear, there's no humanity behind it. I, I just don't believe in this performance. And the human gear responds poorly. And so does our main character, just mouth agape. Yeah, because they, they really need for this to work, because public perception of them is not great right now. Uh, so everyone rushes off to try to deal with this crisis. Meaning that when Little Assassin hears this, it's like, oh, this human gear is useless. I will assassinate him. So he picks up the actor and throws him across the room, but allows him to live. Well, he's, he's gonna, well, he transforms. Like, he pulls out his dodo key and he goes into his uh, transformed mode. And here's an interesting thing about Little Assassin, because he is not using a belt, so I'm pretty sure all these transformations are one way. He's just literally always died and comes back instead of transforming back at any point. Uh, interesting point, Harry. Interesting point. Yeah. So, you, uh, it's like, oh, you again? Damn it. Mm -hmm. uh, and so now we have the fight of the episode. Uh, it's, it's fun. But, like, it's, I, I will say, Harry, it's something that's becoming more and more clear. Like, the transformation CGIs are more dangerous than the actual transformed people. Have you noticed that? Uh, it, it is a, it, it's a thing. Like, when he's transforming into the polar bear, the polar bear will take, like, five seconds and just kick the ass of the person that he's going up against. Yeah, so Yua is fighting against Lil Assassin, 
but he is every time he dies it comes back he gets stronger so he's real tough and also Jin shows up so it's two on one but then Fua he steps in and he pulls an amazing move where he as you know his whole transforming thing is he fires out a bolt and has to punch it so mm-hmm. he fires it it curves into the back of Dodo's neck and then he punches through to transform it's great like I said the transformation moves are the most dangerous, Harry. They should just keep switching forms. These fights will last like 30 seconds. Yeah. Anyway. What's the point of kicking if you could just transform and have a CGI bear do the work for you? Uh, I feel like this will become less effective later on in Gets of the Series. Yes. Uh, during the fight, uh, they summon a lot of minions, and then Yua gives Fu a Gatling gun because she has no pattern recognition. Yeah, well, uh, there's a good moment, because she shouts at him like, hey... Why did you save me? And he just says, because I wanted to. Same reason why you saved me back at the hospital. You know, I'm fighting for what I believe in. You fight for you what you believe in. That's good enough for me. It's a fun fight. Uh, and when it ends, the assassin is destroyed yet again. And so Jin retrieves the uh, retrieves the case and flies away. Uh, Yuya is definitely trying to uh, retrieve it. Uh, Faceless Man told her to get... Uh, to get a transformation key that she had never gotten before earlier in the episode. And so she considered it her mission to get uh, the Dota this time, and she failed. Yeah, also kind of to make up for the one that she gave to Aruto, which he didn't really expect, but didn't seem to mind too much. As they're leaving the fight, Yua says to Fua, Hey, there's a chance I might betray you someday. Fua smiles and laughs, and he says, Don't worry, if that happens, I'll win. Yeah, because... I'm pretty sure in the wrecking of the show, he's slightly more important than her. I don't know. I don't know. Like, Fua is, like, the, you know, the counterpoint to our main character. And, but she's, like, a part of the triumvirate, too. You know, she's the caught-in-between, like, one, the moral gray area one. That's very important. Especially if she has a redemptive arc. She She's doing pretty good. Uh, and everyone's happy, except everyone's not happy, because... Uh, Awada has basically, he's trying to quit the shoot. So Yua goes to explain to her boss uh, that Hiden's TV drama is experiencing difficulties. And he says, either way, the show will go on. And the downfall of Hiden intelligence will be the real drama to behold. And all will go according to a script of my drafting. I'm 100% sure of it. No, 1000% sure. <laughs> uh Harry, with the reveal of the boss's face, I mean, he's just, he's another baby-faced Japanese actor. Like, was was this supposed to be something? Yeah, I don't think it's a huge surprise or anything. Like, it's just, it's another handsome guy. Turns out that these toku shows, they know how to cast the pretty boys. Yeah. Although that is, like, he's young. Are we to assume that he might be a humigir? You know? He is talking in calculations and percentages. Uh, True. I don't know about that, but there is stuff I could see. Hmm. I I don't know for sure if he's human or human gear, but like some stuff I know about him and his uh, his whole, at least how his transformation gimmicks work. That is maybe more vague than you would think. Oh, and also like his thing about saying percentages and stuff like he's working out to a thousand percentage. Uh, his his name is related to that. OK, great, great. It's his thing. It's his gimmick. Big, big, big percentages. Fun episode, first of a two-parter, or at least a minimum two-parter. They might stretch further. I appreciate that this show is This might be the rest of the series. Like, just 30 episodes of drama about the TV production. Yes. I love it, Harry. 
But I like how the characters are interacting and growing in fun ways. Like Arto, he's coming up with new ways to make to kind of improve the plan of human gear, so he's working hard. And also Fu and Yua, like they have their goals, but they're bouncing off each other and they're kinda they're adapting to each other. And they're also being honest and stuff and trusting in each other's decisions. And it's it's nice to see a bunch of characters trusting each other's judgment and being honest and not overcomplicating overcomplicating things really long time for over the show. Uh, In contrast Is it time to talk about Gaim, Harry? Let's go into Common Rider Gaim. Oh boy. Oh boy. I mean, this, yeah, this is the plot dump episode, or at least, oh god, we've been saying that for a while, like, there's been so much plot dumped on this show, this is nothing but plot dumps at this point. We have revealed almost all the plot, like, this is the final last big dump, because the thing about Helheim and the stuff about the the things behind it, the stuff about the things behind it, boy, I'm using good language, the the whole mysteries of the forest and the interests and stuff like that, We've been skirting around the edge of it. Here, we're just fully getting into it. And there's there's a couple more secrets and stuff along the way, but they're more like little bites and developments. But here, we're finally getting into what the hell is going on. Yes, this we watched two episodes for this week. Episodes uh, 1920, is that correct? Yeah, ni- 19 and 20. Yeah, but like, there's kind of no point in pointing out the episode break because... Like, we just have an episode where they infiltrate the enemy base, and then an episode where the enemies just spend the entire episode explaining what's going on to the main characters and to the audience. So, uh, at the start of 19, if you'll remember, uh, uh, Ryoma Warring, he showed up uh, transformed because he really wants to fight Kota and see how, how he's doing. And he just spends a couple minutes manhandling our uh, dear baby boy. Yeah, like... So these suits are really powerful, the Genesis drivers. Like, I think the Genesis drivers are still better than kind of the jury-rigged solution Kota has. And uh, he's just no-selling all of Kota's attacks. And the main thing he's saying here is, yeah, I'm not a really good fighter. I can't pretend to not beat the hell out of you. So I'm just going to bounce you off walls for a while. Yes, Kota gets manhandled. He gets detransformed. Kaito shows up. Oh, uh, well, the scientist, after he detransforms him, he asks him to please transform again. He was having too good a time and getting too much good data. Kaito shows up to, you know, to save him and gets immediately dropped just fucking hard. Does he just walk away at this point? Like, he pretty much just leaves. Yep. He got enough good data. Uh, the two boys are beat up. They're both lying on the grass, not fighting anymore. So he fucks off. And then Baron he stands up angrily. He says, whatever. There's no turning back. I've, I've quit my dance team. And I'm going to go to Yagdrasil's lab. I'm going to break in and find out what they're up to. Kota is not going to let him do this alone. He's coming too. Kaito and Kota, BFFs now. Like, fully yeah. in this together, at least for this episode. <laughs> at least for this episode. We're seeing the formation. Like, this whole thing kind of reminds me of, like, you know, the WWE, 
when like they were trying to hype up like a lot of tag teams and so you would see like new teams forming and breaking apart and machinations going on in the background yeah yeah so so someone's gonna hit uh oh god i don't know enough about wrestling to do a really good reference randy orton just say randy orton everyone will laugh if you say randy orton is, is he still a thing he never was okay anyway up on a rooftop, Yoko is talking to Ryoba, and he's saying that, eh, it's. I thought it was an unstable prototype, he's drawing more power than I expected. You know, I really need more data. I know you never used your Genesis driver's full power, Yoko. Are you afraid to show me? And Yoko says that she doesn't know what the hell he's talking about. And he kind of shrugs and says, whatever, we all have our own agendas, and that makes my job all the more fun. I know, I wrote out that quote too. Uh, I do like the scientist, he's just... A wonderful mad scientist. Gives zero fucks. Oh yeah, he loves his role on the show. He knows he's the bad guy and he's just reveling in it. And another guy who loves his job is DJ Sagra. He's calling out to everybody on his livestream like, Hey, Zawamai City, the beat writers are back in business, it's a new age. Everyone has realized that, hey, our dance teams should just concentrate on dancing and not interdimensional Pokemon death fighting with powered armor. <laughs> yep. So the city is back on their side, and so we jump back to the Grease Lightning Garage, where Team Gaim and Team Baron, like, uh, minus Kaito, but plus Zack, uh, they're just hanging out and just having a great time, laughing. Team Gaim and Baron, although Armored Riders Gaim and Baron, are no longer members of their teams. Yep, and they're talking about dance, Harry. They're talking about how much they love dance. Like, some teams, they left the competition after... Uh, after the invest game was shut down, but that just means that the people left, they're the ones who only care about dance. And Kota, he he nods and says, well, you don't really need a bodyguard anymore, so I, I'm not really needed. I'm just going to walk out this door with sad piano music. <laughs> and Mai looks at him sadly for a second, and then tricks and says, yeah, you make your own choices. Anyway, let's practice. <laughs> Michi, however pulls Koto aside and says, like, hey, I, I want you to stay. Uh, I, I really think you'd like it. Mai would really like it if you stay on the team. I definitely don't have a weird thing where I'm into Mai and want her to get with you and I'm going to be a weird white knight in the wings forever. <laughs> uh, he says more stuff about how it's like, it just makes him happy when his friends are happy. You know, more just like twisting of that knife for when he dies in a little bit. Yeah, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna self-sacrifice myself forever. That's, that's healthy. Uh, and, you know, Kota, he, he's amenable to this, but then he looks at the clock and he says, Oh no, I'm late. Um, um, I was going to an interview. Uh, so he rushes off to the fruit bar to meet with Baron for their secret meeting. And Michu walks in right after him and is like, yeah, you weren't going to a secret meeting. You can't plan stuff without me. And so they all scheme. Uh, Kota and Kaito, they are breaking into the Eggdrasil Corporation to expose the secrets. And Kaito's main plan is that he, their security in this world is really tough, but they have that crack that's always open in Helheim, so if they loop around and go through there, it should be pretty easy. It's a decent plan. Until Michi immediately sells out the bros. He says he's going to create a distraction so you can get inside. But then you ju we just see him walking through the Eggdrasil Corporation saying... I can't let him find out. I'm keeping more secrets that, whoops, he murdered Yuya. I'm going to go tell my brother, and we're going to, we're going to deal with this. Man, Harry, like, at the end of these two episodes, Kota still doesn't know about Yuya, even though the entire universe is just like, dude, figure it out. 
Koto and Kaito, they get on their interdimensional transporting flower motorcycles. Say some weird things during the show. <laughs> and uh, as they do, Sid gets a call and says, oh, all right, yeah, I got a job to do. Such a slave driver. Mm-hmm. At least we can test these out. And he has a weird lock seed. Yes, he pulls out some new toys that clearly transform. Available now at Kmart for thirty nine ninety nine. Speaking of ad placements, we we do get a they they left in a commercial for the video game Batch Ride War Two. I kind of really want these video games to come over to the states, Harry. Do you think they're actually any good? I don't think they're actually good. <sighs> I think they're kind of generic Dynasty Warriors type Musou clones. Eh, that's a shame. Like these would be perfect fighting games. Yeah, but like, we're not you know really how, into fighting like, games. What the, they they could be a fighting game. Like Kamen Rider games should be fighting games. No, I mean, like, they often are. It's just, I don't think, Sam, you're not a fighting game fan, are you? No, of course not. I'm awful at them. I basically just play, like, Civ Six every month. Like, I would love for Kamen Rider to be more popular over here so we could get the fighting game. Sure, that'd be true. Mm-hmm. Like, there's that, there was that Power Rangers fighting game recently. But anyway, uh, Kota Kaito, they are going, uh, they are going through the crack on the uh, Helheim side, but it's quiet, Harry. It's too quiet. And they look over and see some tulips. That's weird. But no, these are weird mecha ATSTs that can holographically disguise themselves as tulips. Man, they're awkward looking. Like, they, they kind of reminded me of those, like, walking mechs uh, from that Metal Gear Solid side game that, you know, you would just cut in half with a giant uh, anime sword. Oh, uh, like geckos? Yes, yes, they... They look, they look like those, or those awkward-looking dogs from, like, the, the MIT uh, labs. So I guess that makes them look realistic, even though they look awkward as fuck. They're running around, they have machine guns that they're shooting the characters with, and a couple of them even link together and do a weird breakdancing move to fight them. Like, they, they do a spin attack. Yeah, it's incredibly awkward-looking. And they are unceremoniously booted out of Helheim after Sid shows up and just talks a little bit of shit. Uh, one of the mechas, like, shoots open a, a tear in the universe and boots them through. They land in an alleyway and are very annoyed, but right away, there's someone there to help them. DJ Sagara. Harry, can DJ Sagara teleport? Uh-huh, maybe. Harry, how the fuck did DJ Sagara know to be specifically exactly right here? I mean... Like, you, you've you asked who DJ Sagara is, like, specifically in terms of which Spider-Man villain he is, and I'm not answering that yet, but I'll start being able to give you information soon. Is it Mysterio? We'll see. But, like, right, right now, yeah, he's he's there, and uh, and Kaito is shouting at him, whatever, we just dealt with some of Dr. Sil's goons, we don't want to deal with another one. He's like, hey, 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 don't get the wrong idea. Uh, I'm I'm the guy looking out for you. I always have been, always will be. Who will the forest choose? You or you? Will even be one of you, or will it be someone else entirely? I'm just looking forward to finding out. And he tosses them one of those tulip block seeds. Yep. So they can tear open a hole in the universe again. Yeah. And when they look back up to him, he's already Batman away. <laughs> yes. Uh, Kaito says that he wants to go back right the hell now. Well, it's it's funny because Kaito is the one to point out. Hey, he's weird and cryptic. Should we know more? But Kota, in a very Kota move, says, That's not important right now. Let's. What are we going to do about the battle we were in? Kaito says, like, he's going in, and he asks Kota if 
you think I'd act without a plan, to which everyone in the audience shouted, yes. They basically just charge right back with this new toy thing. Uh, Kota, he transforms and he does a big flying kick with the, with the tool. It's called like the Tulo Popper. It, it's an ATST with machine guns and stuff. And they're just murdering guards left and right, just blowing them all up. I mean, you you see them get thrown clear of the explosions. It's the G.I. Joe thing. that They're all fine. Zero casualties, Sam, in this hospital. Zero casualties. Kota also gives Kaito a his watermelon lock seed. So mm-hmm. that, that's going to turn out well. Uh, Kota, uh, Kota goes uh, to uh, find uh, some of the hidden evidence in the forest and uh, distract people. Uh, well, Kaito stays behind to duel Sid uh, inside his watermelon. Sid does some monologuing and transforms, and man, I, I just kind of want to point out, Harry, how hard it is to look menacing when immediately after you give your menacing villain speech, you press a button on your belt and it screams, Soda! Energy arms! Yeah, yeah. It, there's lots of... Uh, like, some of the more... I'm trying to think of, like, the most ridiculous villain speech to immediate transformation stuff is. Honestly, it might be Kaito. <laughs> Kaito's, like, he's the master at this, though, because he's yelling about, like, strength is all that matters. Like, deceit is the trade of the week. I don't care about Yagdrasil. I just want to see if you're strong. I'm going to topple you from your throne. And he transforms into his watermelon mech. <laughs> uh, Sid is berating uh, Kaito. He says that you children squawk about ridiculous justice, and Kaito says, okay, boomer, and stabs him with his melon sword. And off off uh, at a security camera, watching the whole thing, Ryoma's like, huh, Kaito Komon, you're obsessed with strength. I think I could work with this. Uh, Kota has run off, and he runs into the Melon Knight. They run into each other at the dramatic stream that they met each other at the first time. Yeah. They have a very emotionally charged fight. Yeah, Kota shouting about how, you know, you said that this world, world is full of evil without purpose or reason. I, That's the evil that killed Hase. I refuse to believe that it was inevitable, and I refuse to forgive Yagdrasil for creating that evil. And we, when he says that, Zangetsu just kind of sighs and tilts his head and is like, oh, I see. Well, I guess we gotta fight. <laughs> and this is the first big hint. Like, his reaction to that is when the viewers watching the show were... Like, we suspected for a while some of the stuff about to be revealed, but him doing that is like, oh, yeah. Like, there's more to this story. Inside Yagdrasil, uh, Kota is running around and he gets shot in the leg by Sid as he is walking through uh, the Terror of the Universe. Kaito. And- what? I think you said Kota. This is why I was kind of switching to just calling him Baron all the time. I know, I know. I'm actually, like, I learned his I learned his name for this week. I'll forget it again next week. But gotcha. you, you can tell when I have, like, my five minutes of lucidity when I'm actually using people's names. He gets inside. He has a brief bit of a fight with Sid, but Sid finally takes him down. And then Sid and the scientist go about to recruit him. I'm being a terrible host. I do apologize, Komon Kaito. Let, let's correct some misconceptions. And then Melanite and Kota, they are making peace. And Melanite says that it's time, finally, that Kota sees what Yggdrasil is doing. He's going to go show him the Statue of Liberty, Harry. And we go into episode 20. The world ends, the invasion begins. All those don't have to do a beat-by-beat of this episode, because it's just like, it's 20 minutes of just verbal exposition. Yeah, it's... 
uh, it's cr- it's cutting back and forth like Ryoma and uh, and Takatora. They're both explaining the things to kind of their own beat writer. But yeah, we could just go over the whole reveal thing. So this Helheim, they don't know if it's another planet or another dimension or something. They're still figuring that out. Uh, but, you know, uh, like Yagdrasil, its whole reason is researching it and finding out its mysteries. Because the Helheim was not natural to the world that this used to be. Helheim is an invasive parasitic species that wiped out a planet. We'll, we'll just go over this quick and then go into the details, because there are some good details here, but yeah. Uh, it's an invasive species, and it, like, when whenever its seeds get somewhere, it spreads really fast, it poisons the earth so that its native crops can't grow, and it converts all the local fauna. Like, it's it draws in creatures with that kind of hypnotic thing. Like, that's why everybody thinks the fruit looks so delicious, and if you eat it, you it takes control of you, and you become a vessel to spread its seeds. All the infests that have been fighting are the animals from this world, including the basically human civilization that used to live there. Speaking of which, uh, the big reveal, it turns out to be an alien city. It's uh, nice and stony. Like, they go down, they find chairs, they find tables, they find decaying plates. It looks very, you know, humanoid-centric. The Helheim came here and converted the entire biosphere, and the same process is going to happen to Earth, and they can't stop it. Earth has 10 years left before it's entirely converted into being Helheim. And that means that, that that's kind of it. Yagdrasil, a.k.a. the World Tree Organization, they they picked the spot for their building because it is the site of the former tree that was at the heart of the shrine uh, that Kaito and Mai, you know, had their uh, juvenile meat cute at. Yeah, it was just uh, randomly a crack open and one seed landed there. But it didn't spread. It just, for whatever reason, kind of grew in on itself and created a single tree that they used to create the crack to go back and forth. It's a steady stabilizing force there. And the, you know, uh, possibly the reason that so many cracks are forming around this town. Yeah. Like, uh, that's also the reason why Actrasil is taking over the city, because most cracks are here. So if they need to keep a hold on things, then they kind of need to control the whole region. Like, we, in the episode, we see a part where part of the city has just been cordoned off and as the camera moves over ryugen michi is there killing some invests for them michi is fully on board with the kill the invests burn the evidence and move on plan yeah they're running a delaying scheme like the 10 years that's 10 years with active intervention to try and fight it back and kota he asks like why don't you tell people and takatora just turns to him and says are you an idiot do you know the kind of panic that would cause? Human civilization would end way before Helheim got to it. Brianna points out, like, you know, humans hold on to their grudges. Do you think everybody could put all that aside to work against Helheim? And Kaijo says, no, everyone I've met would never in a thousand years. <laughs> Kota Binkota says, that's crazy. Humans should definitely be able to come together now of all times. If you told them they were all going to die, how could they keep fighting each other? Hey, Sam, how's, cl- how's climate change going? Oh, Kota, Kota, you beautiful, naive fool. Uh, Takatora points out, like, hey, you don't know the depths humans can sink to. Some governments would do anything to get their hands on our research. If one of them had the sole means to fight Helheim, then the whole world would be in their grasp. It takes one malicious individual to squander a hundred noble efforts. And we're in a show with, like, at least a half dozen very malicious individuals. 
named Sid and Warring and yeah. They're all they're all kind of sitting in the same room. Like as we jump back to the Kaito side of the plan, like we're we're kind of realizing, you know, Kota and the older brother, like the older brother genuinely thinks he's a good guy. Yeah, and he kind of is cuz like he we've seen this whole thing like he's all right he's kind of arrogant in some ways but he's trying desperately to save the world he's fighting stuff you know he wants to save people he's being helpful but on the other side like when we're dealing with yoko and sid and scientist warig they know what team they're on yeah basically the whole thing ramps up with ryoba turning to kaito holding out his hand and saying yay so join the team let's help save civilization Kaito has a different opinion. Kaito slaps the table and he says that there's nothing in civilization worth saving. A world inundated in lies and deceit deserves destruction. Those who have forgotten to fight don't deserve to live. This invasion is a golden opportunity to divide the weak from those with power. Let the future belong to those who fight with Helheim and survive. And he, he's doing like cool build stuff like picking out a fruit they have nearby and crushing it in his hands. <laughs> and after a moment... Everybody in the room starts laughing and be like, dude, we knew we we called this. You're on Team Evil now. Welcome. Welcome. We're all jerks. <laughs> yep. So now the teams that we have forming, like we have Kota kind of siding with the Melonite. We have Kaito siding with the scientist. Uh, Sid and Yoko are there with the scientist, but they're also clearly running their own side games. Michi is also kind of out for himself, and the DJ Sagra, he's just having a good time. Yeah, that, that's the reveal. Are there any bits we want to go back into? Uh, oh, there's some, like, nice quotes. Like, you know, the scientist, he was leading Kaito through uh, Yagdrasil Corp, and he says, you know, you probably hate us, to which Kaito responded, hatred is meant to be fulfilled. And that was just a nice stand-up and applaud moment. Like, yes, queen! That is what hatred is useful for! Yeah, no, it's it's just a big reveal. Like, there's good moments in here, and but I mean, you, <laughs> honestly, you should watch it. Like, it, it's good going over it. But the whole point is that this is a big reveal, and there's like a little bit more in the plan. But like, this is kind of, uh, uh, I guess this this is like the thing is like they're developing this tech and stuff so that people can survive and adapt, and it's just it's really cool. Uh, so Sam, you were totally wrong about this prediction. I was. Oh, by the way, uh, before we move on, there was a mid-episode break with Walnut Knight and Durian. It is as forgettable as we have apparently forgotten it. Oh, right, yeah. I mean, it, it was in the notes, but uh, the main thing is that Zack is still dealing with, dealing with the invests, because more and more are showing up. And uh, Bravo, he's he's still fighting them, because Yagdra still is kind of, still kind of trying, is still paying him to slander them. But even mid-fight, when more invests showing up, he's kind of fighting against them, because remember, Bravo doesn't know what's going on. I don't think he knows that there's, like, the rogue invest. He he actually thinks that the beat writers are causing these problems. Mm -hmm. This is the problem with nobody explaining anything to anybody ever. God damn it, people. Just tell each other. Secrets, no. No secrets. Well, there is one last little bit of, like, uh, so the next couple episodes of Kamen Rider Gaim, they kind of reveal the last bit of Yagdrasil's plan, which is pretty cool. Mm -hmm. uh, but, yeah, we... We've seen most of everything in the show. We've gotten a good we've gotten a good view of all the characters. Like the, there's some developments and stuff, but you basically know who everybody is in terms of stuff. And Sam? Hey, we're twenty episodes in and the plot's starting. Like fair's fair. Like I kinda roped you into some stuff earlier. 
This is your last chance. Do you want to associate yourself with a different character? <sighs> a different character than Michi. You know what? I think I'm gonna I think I'm gonna write it out with Michi. Understood. Well, uh, so next week we are going to, well, it's just the next zero one in the next couple of game. Mm-hmm. Uh, but right now me and Sam, we, we watched the Mandalorian. We're big nerds and we're going to talk about it on that show and like a, uh, in a full spoilers fashion. So I'll, I'll include an audio break here. And if you haven't seen it yourself, I would say watch it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but yeah, me and Sam, we're just going to have a nice unstructured talk about it. Terry, what did you think? Eh, it was pretty bad. What? Just kidding. Ah, oh, like, you had uh, me I, for a second, Harry. You yeah, had me. Honestly, I was I was kind of thinking of maybe trying to string that along for as long as I could just to fuck with you because like of the whole Green Man thing. Uh, but no, I, I really really liked it. Yeah, yeah, this has the potential to maybe be my favorite Star Wars thing. Because turns out that, you know, some of my favorite things are Star Wars movies and Western movies and samurai movies. And yeah, this is kind of all of those combined, isn't it, Harry? Like, just no, yeah. like, this is I've... Sergio Leone's Star Wars. Like, Sam, I've read multiple Star Wars expanded universe novels all about Mandalorians and stuff. Like, I've I love the Republic Commando series. Which is all just groups of clone troopers getting super deep into Mandalorian culture and stuff like that. Uh, like I, for the Star Wars RPGs, Wolfran, I ran a Mandalorian character, Metal Daddy, uh, <laughs> which you guys called Metal Daddy. Best yep. is real. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, I'm super. I'm a super big nerd, and I love Star Wars culture and stuff like that. And watching the show, it was 100 written by similar people. <laughs> Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. This is this is a show like oh god. This is the most like bespoke TV show directly at my heart that maybe has ever existed. Yeah. Uh I love that it's a smaller story. Like I really want to see those in the Star Wars universe. Like yes. they it it suffers when all you see is the movies. Mm-hmm. I mean that was to... that was kind of the promise of Rogue One and Solo. But, I mean, that's that's one of the reasons that I love Solo so much. Like, it's it's really just a small-scale story told in the Star Wars universe. Like, it would have been it would have been better if it was a different character, if it wasn't Han Solo. But aside from that, like, you know, it's it's very similar to this. And, uh, like... Yeah. Like, I mean, for this, they, they basically went as far as they could in making this guy Jango Fett, but just not calling him Jango Fett. Like, you could have made a movie that was, like... Uh, uh, San Holo or whatever. <laughs> like, does this character even have a name other than the Mandalorian? Well, uh, Pedro Pascal actually accidentally said it in an interview with a news outlet, which, uh, you know, you could clearly tell that it was a mistake. At the same time, it's it's just a generic fucking Star Wars name. It doesn't matter. Okay, it's not like Joe Skywalker the Third or something. No, it's like Jin Raz something something. It's 
it it doesn't matter. It's it's named generic ass Star Wars. He is man with no name. Yeah, I mean he he is an orphan ass orphan. We we see the thing where he was uh it in the great scene of the blacksmith where like mid hammering and stuff. We get the flashbacks to him like being orphaned as a kid and them hiding him and that's right after the conversation where he talks about like other found links and stuff where they're using the the beskar sam they they did beskar harry uh beskar is that expanded universe stuff yeah i mean so there was some stuff in the clone wars with uh mandalore that i didn't watch but i i don't know but like do, do you know about beskar is it like highly resilient to blaster fire yeah it's it's a it's a special ore that is found either exclusively or primarily on Mandalore. It's kind of a cultural thing and they can work it into their armor and stuff like that. And it's super tough. It can, it can hold up to lightsabers. It's one of those metals. Nice. It's not, it's not cartosis. It doesn't turn them off or anything, but it's, it's basically invulnerable. And so that's in this episode stuff where, uh, the guy at the first, he's like, Hey, is your armor made of Beskar? And he's kind of scraping his knife against it. Uh, so I don't know if his chest plate is Beskar, but it might be. And then they make a pauldron, and he gets shot in it, and he's totally fine. I mean, it still looks like it hurts. Oh yeah, I mean, he gets knocked back, but then he gets up, and like his, he, there's not even like a mark. Speaking of which, IG-11. Uh, do you think actually dead? Or like, are we gonna get like IG-12? Are we gonna, like, what's the deal with that? Because I kind of got the impression that that character was going to be more of a thing than Die's first episode. Um... Uh, I could, I could see it going either way. Cause like, first of all, I mean, that wasn't practical. Was it, or was it practical or was it CGI? That had to be CGI. Like, okay. It, like they're, they're spending so much damn money on this. I know. I know. I know. I know. I, like, I, I love the budget of this. This is Disney flexing and it's actually doing it for good for once. Yeah. Like, I maybe the well has been poisoned because we watched so much Toku where the budget is like 20 bucks in a sandwich. Uh, but yeah, like the the fully CGI monster that's popping out of the ice to eat the thing, and then like the IG eighty eight that really well done. Like I don't like the editing of the fights; it has not the too quick problem. But I think that's just kind of the beast we're working with with the effects and the scenes. Like they're not going to get like the long, steady action scenes, and it's not yeah. the most egregious I've seen or anything. No, but, I mean they'll probably in a couple episodes do the Daredevil like extended three minute fight sequence. You know, just to just to flex again. But yeah, like, and what I super love is uh, this is a story about kind of the Empire falling apart. Like, this is five or so years after the Death, the second Death Star exploded, mm-hmm. and like the the people the are starting. The stormtroopers are dirty. Yeah, that was the that was the moment I knew I loved the show when he opened the door and it's just like a bunch of dirty ass stormtroopers just in shitty they're still their armor but they're not bothering to maintain it and there's just like a single imperial governor guy doing his dirty deeds you know off on his own <laughs> there's a random imperial scientist with them like you know they're they're trying to hold it together yeah they're like the stuff's falling apart and they're trying to uh they're getting with the can like they're they're researching the weird Yoda race, which is super, that's a big mystery in the Star Wars universe. Like, the, that has never been super deeply went into. Mm-hmm. There's a baby Yoda. It's so cute. Yeah, a 50-year-old baby. <laughs> uh, and so, that's a fun thing in scene, if you didn't know. So, uh, Beskar, like, it was native to Mandalore, 
Uh, but then when the Empire came in, they cut, they basically plundered the planet for its resources and stole almost all of it. So when uh, Werner Herzog, who I'll get to in a moment, <laughs> what he's saying to the guy like uh, Beskar, it 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 is really best that it's back in your hands, in the hands of the people who deserve it. That's basically like if at the table a Nazi was saying to one of the many people who the Nazis plundered, like, yes, it's great that we're giving you back your cultural artifacts. Mm-hmm. Like, the, the Mandalorian... Mandalorian he's, he's a practical fe- fellow, though. Yeah. Like, I'm, I'm sure he was furious at hearing that, but he he wants it back, so... Mm-hmm. He accepted. Yeah. I, I mean, of course, there's no way he's going to turn over the kid. Like, the whole thing is that his backstory is that he was abandoned as a kid and found, and he's not so he's not going to be able to turn over the kid. I mean, I think the primary question, having seen one episode now, is, is this going to be, like, Lone Wolf and Cub? Like, is is he going to be carrying around this baby Yoda for the rest of the series? Or is he going to drop this guy at, like, you know, a friendly place to keep him safe? I'd love if it's Lone Wolf and Cub. I mean, so, the thing with these guys is that they're, I think, this race is, like, always strong in the Force. Which, so there's multiple things that the Empire could be coming after the baby Yoda for. Uh, they're always strong in the force, it's important, but also they're incredibly long-lived. So maybe they're just going for, like, an immortality thing by checking its DNA? I mean, it's the Empire. Like, you know, it, it's a baby with superpowers, of course they want it. Yeah, they they, they want to cut open that baby and do the baby stuff. And, mm. uh, the IG it's droid... big eyes and reaching out at the head and grabbing the Mandalorian's finger. Oh yeah, it's adorable. Uh, but the IG droid had orders to kill it. So is there someone else also going for this? So, I mean, they thought that they were on working for the same person, but I guess that's the thing where he realized they were different. They're working for different people. Well, Sarah had a theory. She pointed out like, so uh, Werner Hortzog, he gave uh, the Mandalorian the job to retrieve the Yoda or kill it if it was impractical. And he only gave him that order after the scientist was in the room, who clearly wanted it alive. The governor might have done the same, might have just given the kill order when the scientist was, like, out getting groceries. Uh, I can totally see that. It, it can go a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, what, was that Nick Nolte as the Ugnaught? Yes, it was. Man. Oh, I really and Blurgs. We haven't even mentioned Blurgs. Oh yeah, like so. I guess of some people I saw online pointing this out. The most clear thing you can see uh, in this that George Lucas is no longer in charge of Star Wars is that they were able to work in so many references to the Star Wars Christmas special. Because <laughs> he fucking hated that. Were blurgs from the Christmas special? Well, I mean, at the start, the the blue guy he's talking about. I want to get back to my family for life day, and uh, I mean that's the that's the day from the Christmas special. And also, his weapon, like, kind of the the thing with the two prongs on the front, that's exactly the spear Boba Fett had in the, the cartoon thing that he showed up in. Even in that, he, when the guy said, like, I've heard tales of Mandalorians riding these great beasts, Boba Fett is riding a dinosaur in the Christmas special. Like, th- this is basically just a Christmas special reboot. <laughs> so Christmas special, fully candid is what we're saying. Absolutely. I, I... I wouldn't be shocked if in the next episode, a bunch of things are TV screens for no reason, and there's a guy who drinks in through his head. Hmm. Yes, yes. If there is a guy who drinks in through his head, we will know that it is 100% canon. Uh, so, 
Are we thinking, like, the rest of season one is just the governor sending increasing amounts of bounty hunters after the Mandalorian to get the, the baby Yoda? Um, I mean, that'll probably be, like, a couple of the episodes, but but I'd, I'd really hope that there's a couple where he's doing, where he's off doing other side gigs or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's got a cool ship. He's got a great look. Everything is awesome in this so far. Like... Yeah, I, I Man, like. And I have no complaints. Yeah, uh, I like Pedro Pascal. Like I, I have. I guess more people would know him because of Game of Thrones because he was on that. But I just re- I recently watched Prospect, and he was great in that. Oh yeah. Yeah, uh, and I mean, I guess like he, the he's other kinda, he's one of those guys who's great in everything. Like he's in Narcos, and he's great in Narcos. He's great in Game of Thrones. Um. There was even, like, this that movie with uh, Ben Affleck, like, about stealing drug money in South America. He was great in that. He's just one of those guys. Yeah, he's a good actor. And he puts a lot into the role that's the mask fully on. Oh, I guess there's a thing. Sam, do you think they're going to take off the mask? Nope. 100% nope. Yeah, uh, that'd be cool. Like, I mean, Mandalorians, they're... One of their cultural things is that they always wear the armor, but I think that they can take off the helmets sometimes. But that's, I mean, that's that's different versions of canon. And anyway, this guy might just want to keep the helmet on. Uh, the thing about keeping the helmet on, Harry, is that um, this character can continue to be a thing for like 50 years then. And, and also like the stunt actor and stuff like you, you could swap it out whenever you need to. It's it's Toku. It's Toku. Uh, I And I guess the last thing, it's a small thing, but I really liked how the bounty guy wanted to pay him in appeal credits. And he's like, these still spend, but he, the Mandalorian, he was willing to take Mon Calamari Flan, even if it was half as much. <laughs> uh, he also hates droids. Do you think this guy's family was, like, murdered during the, uh, uh, during the Clone Wars? I mean, the, the time would line up, like, <laughs> if his family was being gunned down by battle droids. Yeah, yeah, that would 100% fit, wouldn't it? Yeah. Like, during the Clone Wars, remind me, so Mandalore was kind of neutral territory? Um, or see, I don't know, they, but... Like, I watched those episodes in the Clone Wars, and... And, and I didn't, so you would know more than I. Those were, those were some pretty good episodes. Like, they dealt a lot with the Darksaber. I do know that, you know, post the Clone Wars, they were 100% occupied by the Empire. But I think that's, I think that's largely because they were neutral throughout. Yeah, it, it's complicated. See, the, the Mandalorian lore is one that has been pushed and pulled in a lot of directions because Karen Travis invented a lot of it with the Republic Commando series and uh, stuff like that. And then her relationship with the whole the whole franchise went a bit sour. Like she she ended up kind of being really angry at the fans and very publicly dismissed them and said, like, I'm not going to write Star Wars anymore. And so when canon went on, like, I think a little bit people tried to work around it, but then people started going back to it because it was pretty well done lore, honestly. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's it's a complicated issue. And like th- those Clone Wars episodes specifically, I think they made some stuff non-canon, but then later with Rebels, because also uh, there was the Mandalorian on that crew, they kind of tried to bridge the gap and say like, eh, it's, it's somewhat canon, whatever. And it's it's complicated, so... Did you see the Rebels episodes with the Mandalorians? Some of them. I saw some of them. I didn't see all of Rebels. 
did you see the dark saber uh saga on rebels no oh you should really watch like mm, rebels is good harry rebels oh i gets... know i like th- i got a list of stuff to watch sam <laughs> yep and we'll certainly be watching more of this going on uh we may we may not cover this it like this though it, it honestly from the future it may be relegated to more of a thing we cover in banter kind of mm-hmm. taking that slot yeah so we're gonna fucking spoil it in banter for the next few weeks like i'm, I'm I, just calling that right now i mean we'll have our conversations and i may edit them around to being like minor snippets that aren't that spoilery or whatever mm-hmm. uh but yeah, we'll Especially be because fun. the episodes release on Fridays now instead of Tuesdays, which, which, which means I'm going to be watching it probably in about twenty minutes. Yeah, yeah, I'll I'll be right in there with you. We could do a live reaction. I have no idea when it's going to release. Like, uh, I don't know. Is it like six a.m. Eastern time? Because I kind of can't stay up till three. Well, we'll figure it out on Google. But for now, let's wrap up with this episode. So. Next time, yeah. we're going back to Zero One and Gaim. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, anything left to say, Sam? Uh, everyone, just keep on dancing. <laughs>